All right, how are you guys doing today? So, today is my oldest brother's birthday, and fun fact, the day he was born, the Bengals actually beat the Steelers. That's, that's 100% true. 1979, is that right? 1979, um, the Steelers and the Bengals, it was a Sunday, October 14th, and the, um, the Bengals won. Now, don't get too excited. That made them one in six that year. So, but this is a different year, right? Doesn't it feel different with the Bengals? Come on, they can do it. Um, hey, fall's here. It's cold. I'm excited. I have a flannel on. Anyone else change their wardrobe this week? It's nice. Um, with the seasons changing, it's just so bizarre. I was wearing shorts last week, and then now I have like piles of sweatshirts that I'm sorting through at home. So it's cool. Whole new wardrobe. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, my name is Wilson. Like Jamie mentioned, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Um, and we've been in a series the past couple of weeks called Faith in the Renewed Mind. I'm going to conclude that this morning with part three. But before that, I want to tell you guys about a really cool meeting I had this week um, with the assistant fire chief of Corian Township. So his name is Will Mueller, really strong Christian, super cool. I mean, like legit follower of Jesus. He was talking about um, his relationship with the Lord and the, him and his wife kind of lead the marriage ministry at their church. And so it was really sweet to see like that a powerful or influential government official in our uh, community is like a really strong Christian. And I, I just connected with him to figure out like how can we as a church get kind of more involved in the community? How can we serve and how can we bless it? And he was, the, the major topic we talked about was the heroin epidemic. And he told me that he, he, learned this, he learned this back in 2014 that the, um, well, here, I'll, I'll pull out some of the stats because I'm going to butcher them otherwise. First, he told me, I didn't know this, but Coleraine is the 13th largest community in Ohio. That's pretty cool. I mean, like, think of communities as like Cincinnati proper, that's a community. Dayton proper, that's a community. On that list, Coleraine is the 13th biggest. So that's pretty sweet. Um, 59,000 people just about live in Coleraine. It's pretty incredible. And he learned, he, in 2014, he stumbled across these statistics. I mean, to say stumbled isn't really right, but it was just kind of happenstance that he decided to actually research this. But he learned that between 2011 and 2014, there was a 112% increase in heroin overdoses in Coleraine. 112%. It's insane. You want to hear something cool? In 2018, they have gone down 70%. And yeah, that's sweet. The reason why, pretty much single-handedly, the reason why is because of a thing called the QRT, the quick response team. Who here has ever heard of that? Awesome. Bunch of people. This thing is going national. This, it's, a, it's called Quick Response Team, and they actually trademarked it, made it official 501c3, and Will, the, uh, fi- the assistant fire chief, was just in D.C. this past spring, Washington, D.C., presenting the QRT to Congress. It's in 60 counties and seven states, and he's being flown all over the country, and people are coming here just to study the system that we developed to figure out how to emulate it and how to do it and to be trained. And... Um, what they, what they do is, after someone overdoses, so twice a week, there's a three-person crew that goes out into the community 
after an overdose, they go to that person's house with a police officer, a paramedic, and a licensed counselor, like a social worker, and just help that person figure out how to get on the road to recovery and how to not repeat. And they've seen it 80, 82% of the people that they touch, the QRT touches, get into recovery. So that's how we've seen that amazing breakthrough. And he told me, he was like, you are one of the only pastors I've ever talked to about this. Like, just, there's not a lot of other, and that, man, like I'm not, this could sound like I'm trying to bash other churches or something like that. I just feel lucky that we got the opportunity to sit with them. And I told him, hey, how can we help? How can we serve you? We told him actually about the ministry we do here at the church called Take a Toll, where uh, one of the guys on staff named Josh leads it, where after there's a violent crime or a murder in Cincinnati, he mobilizes a team. Sometimes it's a one-person team, just him, but nonetheless, a team. And they go to that area and do power evangelism. They just go pray for people whenever there's a violent crime in Cincinnati. And when we told uh, Will Mueller about it, he was like, you just gave me the goosebumps. That is amazing. Like, so he totally loves the Lord and really wants to see transformation. And um, I just thought that is incredible. Like, how is that not on the news? How are we not seeing that all over? That the heroin, that heroin overdoses have decreased by 70% and the 82% of those people are getting into recovery in Corinth. That's amazing. Now, here's how we can pray together as a church. There's a, like experts or whatever, think that there's a syndemic coming to Corin. A syndemic is when there is two epidemics that collide and, and a synergistic event occurs. A lot of big words, I know. And what the syndemic is, is hepatitis C. So they think in the next three to five years, there could be a massive hepatitis C outbreak in Corain because of all of the heroin usage. And he was just like, but I'm gonna make sure that doesn't happen. He was like, there's no reason we need to hear that and just accept it as our fate. He was like, that can be changed. And he's like developing a strategy on how to go after that, how to undermine that. And I was like, dude, you are Joseph. <laughs> you are like literally Joseph from the Bible. God's giving you insight into this problem and you're working to create a different, uh, different history, you know? So let's just pray together for that right now. And, and to kind of, and coupled with that prayer, I want to read you guys something inspiring that I read this week. This is a book called Built to Last that Luke and Van and I, two of the other leaders of the church are going through with a consultant. The consultant's helping us kind of um, clarify some of our systems and structures and values and stuff like that. But listen to this, what... Um, in the book, he is quoting Dave Packard, David Packard, the, one of the founders of Hewlett Packard. And here's what he says. I want to discuss why a company exists in the first place. I, I know this is talking about the business world, but there's a real gem in here. I mean, it's not like the business world and the church world are sacred, secular, all that, but there's a real gem in here for us as a kingdom community. I want to discuss why a company exists in the first place. In other words, why are we here? I think many people assume wrongly that a company exists simply to make money. While this is an important result of a company's existence, we have to go deeper and find the real reasons for our being. As we investigate this, we inevitably come to the conclusion that a group of people get together and exist as an institution that we call a company so that they are able to accomplish something collectively they could not accomplish separately. They make a contribution to society." How cool is that? That's us 
That's why we exist. That's why churches, that's why, that's why we gather on Sunday mornings. That's why we come together in small groups, in the house groups outside the church, because we know that collectively we can do something that we can't do individually. Again, here's the thing I think really, really applies to us. People get together and exist as an institution so that they are able to accomplish something collectively that they could not accomplish separately. Let's pray for our community right now about that syndemic, all right? You just wanna, I feel we should stand up. Should we hold hands too? What do you think? Let's do it. So Lord, thank you for um, the QRT. Thank you for Corinne's uh, fire system and police officers and paramedics. We just bless our government. We bless Corinne's governmental system, the trustees and everybody. We thank you for Will and uh, his partner, Dan, that came up with the QRT. We bless them. And we just pray, God, that you would give them amazing strategies to undermine and to keep a hepatitis C outbreak from coming. We just say that that doesn't, yeah, we just break that. We say that's not our future. Um, By the authority of Jesus, we just say, devil, stop ravaging our community with addiction. We break that. And God, mobilize us, mobilize the people in this room to be the answer to our prayer. Give us courage and boldness to break in to moments where we need to break in, to speak out when we know we need to speak out, to give when we need to give and to love when we need to love. We just say, yes, use us, we sign up. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So today, I wanna, the, I'm gonna wrap up that series I was talking about, Faith in the Renewed Mind. The whole series, the idea kind of got stimulated from a guy named Steve Backland, who was here just ministering and teaching our leaders. And my dad asked him a question and his answer was, faith without a renewed mind gets weird. Faith without a renewed mind gets weird. And what he was getting at is, you can't just take like kingdom principles and try and go live your life without relationship with the king. You can't just be like, oh, this worked. This like thing that God spoke to me worked over here. So I'm just going to blindly apply that to all of my life. And without ever God's presence being a factor, without communion and relationship with God being a factor, and it's going to work out. Does that make sense? Faith isn't just this like one dimensional, simple thing where like, okay, I know it, I believe it, I'm focused, I have faith, it's going to work. No, faith is a dynamic thing that is dependent on relationship with God. You cannot have faith apart from Jesus. Without communing with him, without being in relationship with him, you can't have faith. And so a couple of weeks ago, my dad talked about how faith, when we think about faith, we want to think more in terms of quality than quantity. We don't, it's not necessarily helpful to think, do I have enough, like this much faith? But what is it actually like? What is the quality of my faith like? And last week, I talked about how faith isn't synonymous with success. And faith sometimes is obedience and um, commitment to Jesus, even when our circumstances say otherwise, even when it doesn't feel good. But in those moments, we're actually exercising and demonstrating and growing in faith. And so I want to go at this whole faith and the renewed mind thing one more time this morning, kind of from a, 
adding an angle to it. But the passage I want to read to you guys is, I think a lot of you are probably really familiar with it. It's the rich young ruler. Who here has ever heard the story of the rich young ruler before? If you grew up in church, been to Sunday school, stuff like that, you've probably heard this story. I'm going to read it in a second. But something that I noticed that's really cool, this story is in all three synoptic gospels. So there's four different accounts of Jesus' life, what we call the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are all called synoptic because of the way they're written. They're like accounts documenting Jesus' life. It's not as much like a story as it is like documentation of Jesus' life. Whereas the book of John really has an intent, a purpose for why he was writing it. There is something he was directly trying to prove. I think that's, that, that's a big difference. And um, what's unique is that this story, the rich young ruler, is in all three synoptic gospels and pretty much the same amount in each gospel. So lots of times there'll be a story in Matthew and then in Mark, that same story that was like 10 verses will only be like four verses. And then it won't even be in Luke. You know what I'm talking about? How like not every story about Jesus is in every single account, but this one right here, the rich young ruler, it's in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in all of them, it's more than 10 verses. In Luke, it's 13 verses. In Matthew, it's 15. And in Mark, it's 16 verses. So this is a big chunk of scripture that appears three different times. And I think there's some real gems in it. There's some real amazing kingdom principles we can get out of it about faith. So let's read that story from Luke, okay? Luke 18, 18. And a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. And he said, all these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, one thing you still lack, sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad for he was extremely rich Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, How difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard it said, Then who can be saved? But he said, What is impossible with man is possible with God. And Peter said, See, we have left our homes and followed you. And he said to them, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time and in the age to come eternal life. Powerful story, right? So many moving parts, so much happening. And I think it re- it's like reveals all these different layers of how Jesus is thinking. I love how it says that uh, Jesus looking at him then said this. And in another account, it actually says that this rich young ruler ran up and knelt before Jesus. And kind of studying this, what I read in a couple of different commentaries was, it's very likely that this young rich ruler was actually a religious leader and a religious official. He probably like worked in the synagogue. And so he was like, and he was an expert on the law. He wasn't just some guy that didn't know his way around, you know, the, the, the Hebrew Bible. He 
he would have been someone that other people were asking questions. So at face value, this seems like incredibly humble. He runs up to Jesus and kneels before him, this rich guy. And the first thing he says is, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, as I read this, I was wondering, I was just thinking, what would the original audience hear here? And it kind of sparked my interest. Like, man, how much of a paradigm did those people have for eternal life? Because like, when you really think about it, Jesus is the guy that talks a ton about heaven and eternal life. That's more like a New Testament concept and theme. In the Old Testament, I was like really struggling to figure out where it's talked about. And I, I did find a verse, Daniel 12. Daniel 12, 2. About eternal life. And I was, I was just kind of wondering how, how much, like what was he thinking? It was, just, it was just my curiosity kind of. And in Daniel 12, 2, this is what it says. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So it's like, okay, there is a paradigm. They do have an idea about there being an eternity. But you know what's missing from that verse and this chunk? How to know which one you're going to (laughs) be. It doesn't say, here's how you know you're going to wake up to eternal life. And here's how you know you're going to wake up to everlasting contempt. It just says, some people are going to wake up, everlasting life. So I just wonder if this rich young ruler was wondering like, okay, I've done my best to follow God, but I'm still wondering how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get a, like, is there a guarantee that I'm going to inherit eternal life? And, and Jesus responds, and right away, what's the first thing Jesus jumps on? Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. So, again, in my study this week, what I learned was that there's not a single instance in any Jewish religious lit- literature that's that we have, that no one's ever found, where a rabbi or a teacher is referred to as good. Never once is a rabbi or a teacher ever called good in any um, Jewish religious literature. And the reason why is because they didn't just say anything was good. The only thing they said was good was God. So by calling Jesus good teacher, to us, we're just like, okay, yeah, tossing the compliment of Jesus. No, 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 no. He's saying, God. He's saying, God, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So like at face value, this is a pretty cool deal for this rich young ruler, right? Like he's hungry, runs and kneels. He asks an amazing question. How do I get eternal life? And then he even recognizes that Jesus is God. But we know that from the end of the story, there must have been some like disconnect there because, you know, if you ask God a question and you hear God answer it and you really believe he's God, you're going to do what he says, right? Like if God tell, gives you instructions, then you know, okay, that's the right answer. Like I'm not going to. So obviously there was a disconnect for him. He was, maybe some of it was flattery. Maybe he was just trying to get the answer he wanted. I don't know. But he was acknowledging Jesus's deity here. Jesus continues by saying, you know the commandments. And then he goes on to list, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and mother. So we have the 10 commandments right here behind me. And 
we can see that it's five through nine are the ones that Jesus lists. Now, I don't know why he didn't list them in that order. He's like, what's he say first? Do not commit adultery. Number seven. And then he goes to six, and then to eight, then to five. Like, it's like, why, Jesus? Why don't you just go in order? Obviously, there's a reason, but um, he lists these. And you know what I think is important to note about these commandments? They're focused on humanity. These are focused on people. This is focused on how you should interact with the world. And what's more, it's like, good job. You haven't murdered. <laughs> like, good job. You know, like, I think I can cross most of these off my list. I have stolen. But, um, you know, I can cross. I've never murdered. I think I've been honoring my mother and father. Surely not committed adultery. Bear false witness. Like, I think that Jesus is really, the second that the rich young ruler called Jesus good, Jesus was like, I'm going to test him. Jesus was setting him up for a test the second that he said, good teacher. Because he knew the significance. He knew that this wasn't something you just toss out there. Don't call me good unless you really believe it, I think is what Jesus was saying. So he said, okay, let's see if you really get this. He was, he was wondering, is this faith or is this flattery? Is this your rich young ruler after worshiping me or does he just want fire insurance? Does he just want to know what's going to happen when he dies? So Jesus goes on and says, well, so, so the rich young ruler says, all these I've kept. When, when Jesus heard this, that's what I'm talking about. I love that it's given us a real play by play. Like we're seeing how Jesus was thinking through this interaction. When Jesus heard this, he said, okay, there's one thing you lack. One thing you lack. Now, isn't it ironic that he says, there's one thing you lack. So I want, to, I want you to give away everything you have. So that you're in a place of lack. <laughs> Isn't that funny? He had a ton of stuff. There's nothing this dude lacked, right? But no, the one thing he lacked was treasures in heaven. Guys, our life on earth, what if it impacts eternity? What if how we're living right now really has an impact on what eternity is like? That's what Jesus is saying is the one thing you lack, you'll have treasure in heaven if you give everything else away. And I think that when Jesus, when Jesus was issuing this challenge to him, it wasn't like a, he wasn't like, oh man, I got him now. I got him cornered. Here we go. You know, or Jesus was like, had like some, some like pleasure in this radical challenge to him. I think that Jesus was actually like, it actually says that Jesus looked at him with love. And I think that's something we need to hear that Jesus' challenge to us, they come with compassion. When Jesus challenges us, he's not saying like, let's see if you can do it. No, he's challenging you so that he can transform you. When there's challenge in our life, it's an invitation to change. It's an invitation to transformation. He was inviting this rich young ruler to give something up so that he could get something better. But his, he didn't have the eyes to see that. So yeah, the one thing he lacks, treasure in heaven. Um, let's keep looking at the Ten Commandments. If we go to the next four, look at what the first four are focused on. The ones that Jesus didn't bring up. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make idols. You shall not take the name of the Lord, the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So I think the reason Jesus didn't just list all Ten Commandments 
was because he knew this guy had confidence in his ability with other humans to be doing good. But he wanted to expose to him that, no, your money, your possessions are actually a God for you. This is, a, this is something you're keeping in front of me. One through four is all about God. Five through 10 is all about humanity. That's why he brings up five through, five through nine, because those are the ones focused on others. Now he's saying, let's see, you can go to the next slide. We, let's see if the, the real test is, am I before you? It's one thing to be religious and to do good to others. It's another thing to put me before even yourself and everything you have. That's the challenge Jesus is offering to him. You see that? So faith obeys Jesus even when it doesn't feel good. That's what renews our mind is when we say, Jesus, I'm going to obey you even when it's not what I'm hoping you would say. Even when my experience isn't what, you know, your word is leading me to, I'm going to obey you because I want to grow in faith. I want to be obedient to you first and foremost, not my emotions, not my circumstance, but what you're saying to do. That's what I want to do. In Romans 12, two, it says this, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So, you know, it's e- that's a challenge. Do not conform. It's easy to conform to the pattern of this world. That's what the rich young rulers mean. is conforming to the pattern of the world, accumulating riches, and no one's going to give all their money away just to follow Jesus. Like, that's what Jesus knew. If you're really willing to depart from this world, you'll give something up and your mind will be renewed and you'll have something much better. See, sacrifice, obedience requires sacrifice so much, so often. The, the obedience that we, that I will sometimes drag my feet towards is when it requires me to give something up, to do something I'm not wanting to do. So obeying Jesus despite negative emotions, that is faith. That is, that is when breakthrough comes. Psalm 23, 6 says this. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. So if I was going to write that verse, here's what I would have said. Surely goodness and mercy will go before me all the days of my life. Right? Everything will be okay always as I live. (laughs) That's how I would have written it. But no, it says surely goodness and mercy will follow me. It's coming after me. It'll follow me. It'll follow my obedience. It'll follow my commitment to the Lord. That's when goodness and mercy comes into the picture. I, uh, when I was, when I was um, outside of college, outside of high school, I did a quarter of college at UC. And then I decided to go join an organization called YWAM, Youth of the Mission. And I went and did a discipleship training school, this whole program with them. And I ended up coming on staff. And while I was there, I convinced my girlfriend to come and join, the, join YWAM too and do a DTS, a discipleship training school. Now, spoiler alert, that girlfriend is not who I married, okay? But I convinced her to come and I was super excited. Like, this is gonna be awesome. This is a super, something I love a lot. It's gonna be so great for her to come and do it. And while she was down there in her school, I was in the Middle East leading a team on a mission trip. So I, I didn't get to be there at the same time she was there. And while I was in the Middle East leading that team, I got an email from her breaking up with me. And it was literally like, I'm in Lebanon one day 
and we're Skyping and talking and she's like, oh, I appreciate you so much. Like being here in YWAM has made me realize, blah, blah, blah. Just like laying it on. Like, I just love you. I definitely want to marry you, blah, blah, blah. Two days later, I get to Jordan and I get an email that says, hey, I think I just need to focus on the Lord. I just need to, you know, make this a time where I'm just focusing on Jesus, blah, blah. So I think we need to break up. And I was just like, what? Like super heartbroken, so confused, just totally, totally um, crushed. I had my heart set big time on her. Like she was, in hindsight, she was totally like an idol for me. She was like all I wanted. She was like, that is success. That is happiness. And it was really toxic because I was also like really loving Jesus. So it was hard for me to see that. But um, it was, it was really tough. I had to stay in the Middle East then for another month leading this team, doing like good Jesus projects and like all these other teen, all these other people who just graduated high school. I'm like leading them on a mission trip, trying to be all put together and going back to room and crying every night. Like, no, why'd you break out with me? And then I come back and there's a, there's a period of overlap. So I come back to Jacksonville and I'm back at the YWAM base and she is there too. And so I have to be around her for the next like two months until she goes on her trip. So that right there just sucks, right? It's like, that's everyone, you don't want to work around your person that just broke up with you, right? Well, pretty quickly became clear that she had started dating another guy in her school. Bummer. (laughs) And I'm just like, what? Like everyone was telling me, watch out, Wilson. I think that the girl and the guy think they like each other. Like, I, and I was like, no, 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 I'm sure it's not that. Like, she wouldn't lie to me, blah, blah. And well, she, yep, they are dating. And I'm just like, literally every day walking next, walking by them, like, cool, love you guys. You know, glad you're happy. I'm not. <laughs> and I'm just like, every day, imagine that. I, and I'm like on staff. I'm supposed to be a leader there, you know. And literally, I remember one day I walked by them and it just like, it was so painful. I was carrying my, my dinner tray. I was carrying my dinner tray. I literally just set it down, got my backpack and just started walking home. And I lived like a half hour walk away. So I just started walking. And it was like a dramatic um, rom-com movie scene. Like sad dude, heartbroken, walking home in the rain type moment, you know? And I like knew that it was dramatic. I even knew that, but I was just so sad that I was like embracing it. I was like, I just want to, you know, Watch the notebook or something. And, <laughs> and I get home. I called my, my, the people I live with, my super good friends, Ricky. I called him and I was like, hey, or he called me. He's like, why aren't you home yet, dude? Because I'd usually be home by then. You know, I'd, I'd get a ride and everything. I'm like, I'm, I'm walking. And he's like, what are you talking about? He came and picked me up and took me home. And I got home and I was talking to my dad on the phone. And then I was talking to my older brother, Chad. And I was just trying to figure out a way to worm my way out of my role there at YOM. But I had made a two-year commitment to be on staff. I had signed a, I'd signed a commitment saying, hey, I commit for the next two years to stay on staff, help lead these commitments, blah, blah, blah. And the reason you had to do it is because I was a like, volunteer and I raised my own support. So, and they gave me like really big privileges and responsibilities. Like they paid for me to lead teams throughout the world. So I couldn't just do that and then like peace out. And my brother Chad, and I, but I was really trying to figure out like, how can I get out of this? 
I want to go home. I'm done. Like I can't stand being around them and walking around them and seeing them all happy and skipping and everything. Like I can't do that. And my brother Chad was just like, oh yeah. So like there's a clause in your contract, right? About if you break up with your girlfriend, you get heartbroken, you can quit, right? He was like, that's the thing, isn't it? They're like, you know, if it just gets really hard and you don't want to do it anymore, you can leave. I was like, no. And he's like, okay, then like, I don't get it. What are you even considering? There's nothing to consider here. You committed to being there. He said, Wilson, you have an opportunity to be faithful right now. You have an opportunity to be like Jesus. Jesus was betrayed. Jesus was fooled. And you, you have the opportunity to literally live just like how Jesus lived. There's stuff that's growing in you and forming in you right now that you can't get when everything's going good. And for me during that period, I, and I stayed and it changed me. It really changed the person I am today. And uh, the verse that I hung to through that whole season was Romans 5. And here's Romans 5, Romans 5, 3 through 5. It says, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Rejoice in our sufferings. What? Like, why would we rejoice in our sufferings? Knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces hope. No, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You know that whenever you're faithful, whenever you're obedient... Whenever you keep your hope in Jesus, even when it doesn't feel good, even when everything is going wrong, you will not be put to shame. It will turn out for your better. It will be okay. And it was really like a process I walked through. At first, all I could do was endure. (laughs) Suffering produces endurance. That's all I could do. All I could do is keep going. I had no hope. I had nothing was growing in me. I didn't feel any different. I was cussing them out under my breath every time I walked by them. You know, there was like no thing being formed in me, right? It was just like pure raw pain. But what did I do? I endured. See, not giving up is the only way to develop character. And then living in character is how you develop an actual changed perspective. I wasn't really cussing out under my breath. I just want to say that. You don't need to go home and tell your people that your pastor is cussing people out. Um, but I was, it's that, it's a, it's a, it's a literal, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, progression. It's a progression. Sometimes all we can do is endure. Some of you guys are in a season where all you're able to do is just endure. That's like it. It's like, I don't feel victorious. I'm not getting the benefits of this. I'm not, things aren't going better or whatever. But all you can do is just say, hey, my goal is not to quit. My goal is endurance right now. Sometimes that's, that's where we're at. But, and I don't know when, I don't know how it always works, but we'll break through that season of endurance and we'll get into the season of character. There were people that started telling me like, man, I can't believe you stuck it out. Literally, one of my mentor's wives said, Wilson, you went to the Middle East a boy and seeing how you've handled this, this whole situation, you're a man now. She spoke that to me and I was like, wow. Like, she see, like I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. I didn't notice the change in me, but other people saw, wow, you're changing. There's character being formed in you. And then when we get, after we get through that part of the progression, then there's hope. And then we live with this awareness. Wow, I conquered that. Not like, that was pretty bad. So now the next bad thing that comes along, I'm like, hey, I can get past it. I, I endured through that. But it wasn't, 
like during it, I had this like open vision where Jesus came to me and handed me a, like a, 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 a manuscript the rest of my life. Don't worry, you will marry Jen and you will have a beautiful daughter, Haya, and da, 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 it'll all be okay. No, like all I could do is endure. I really wanted the goodness and mercy to go before me, but it was following me. <laughs> and now I look back and I'm like, wow, it followed me. I want to be a person that is bringing goodness and mercy into situations. Not a person that's like, is that a good situation? I'll go now. No, no, no. We are the answer. You are who brings the goodness and mercy to the circumstance, to the situation. But it only happens if you don't give up. That only happens if you endure. That, that character, that forms after you endure. That ability just to live with hope in your heart, with a glass half full about everything, with biblical optimism, realizing that Jesus can change it all and he can help, that only happens when you endure. So, to end this passage, um, I really love the, the other things that happen here, so I just want to run through them really quick. How difficult it is for those who have wealth under the kingdom of God is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. They're baffled. They're like, who can be saved? Who can be saved? Because they're still in this paradigm of what can I do? How can I work for it? It's on me to be saved. How do I do that? And Jesus' response is, with man, it's impossible. But with God, it's possible. They're still stuck in this mentality of, I have to make it happen and change. But remember, God challenges us to transform us. We don't transform us. I can't change me. God can change me. I can show up. I can say, hey, here I am. I'm gonna be faithful. Change me, help me. I don't transform myself. God transforms us. That's what Jesus is trying to drive home. And then he gets into this amazing scripture that if you love it, you can just get up and scream and shout, okay? Because I love this section. And Peter said, see, we have left our homes and followed you. He said, look, we've sacrificed a lot. And Jesus said to them, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God who will not receive many times more in this time. Boom. Isn't that good news? In this time and in the age to come eternal life. You see, obedience opens us up to blessing. When we obey Jesus, it opens us up to receiving more of his blessing in our life. This isn't, a, this isn't a magic switch. You can't just be like, I'm gonna pick something arbitrarily to obey Jesus about and all of a sudden I'm gonna get a million dollars. That's not how it works. This is, Jesus told me to do something. I maybe didn't wanna do it, but I'm gonna do it. And that opens us up to blessing. I'm saying that when we obey Jesus in the face of hard circumstances, it removes obstacles that are there that are keeping the blessing from coming. There's nothing wrong on his end. <laughs> You know, there's nothing, it's not like God's up there like, I'm trying to get the blessing to them, but I can't get it. If only I was stronger. No, 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 no. It's our obedience that opens us up to the benefit that God wants to give us. Please don't hear me saying this is name it and claim it. Just do some kind of mental gymnastics and karate and all of a sudden, you know, you get blessed. No, no, no. It's obedience to Jesus. This implies sacrifice. This implies relationship with God. When we give stuff up because God's saying to do it, 
will never lack. We will never lack. So that's what I have for you. We're going to worship now. Keep going. Don't give up, man. Just, I just want to encourage you. Don't give up. Endurance is producing something in you. Your obedience is impacting more than you. It's impacting people around you. There's a bigger picture. It's hard to see it when you're in it, but there's more happening than you see. So Jesus, would you open our eyes to that? I just confess that sometimes there's a rich young ruler in me. I don't want that though, Lord. You made me a new creation. I want to live in that. That's the identity I choose to live in. So God continues to burn away the dross. I want to be more like you, whatever it takes. And I bless everyone in this room who prays that same prayer, the same heart that's saying, I just want to be like God, whatever the cost. I want to be like Jesus. I want to follow him, whatever the cost. I bless you. And I just pray grace would rest on you to live a life of radical obedience to Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, the uh, ushers are going to get ready, come on down to receive the offering. Um, there's baskets on the far left side of every row. If you're over there and you grab it, you can pass it down. Let me just be really honest. Uh, tithing and giving, that's part of obedience. <laughs> you know, it maybe feels a little weird for me to say it because I'm up here and, you know, that's like my livelihood is you guys tithing. <laughs> and that's like how the lights are on and everything. But that's part of obedience is being a sacrificial giver. And here's what I want to say. We're really good at that. I'm super proud to be a part of a church like this that presses into obeying God in that way. So just, just bless you guys. Thank you so much for giving. And um, if you don't give regularly, this would be my encouragement. Choose a part, choose a number that you're going to start sacrificing from every dollar you get. Just say, hey, 2%, whatever. I don't care what percent it is, but start treating your money as if it wasn't yours and as if you had to give something back to the Lord. Set something aside like, hey, I'm going to give this to the Lord so that his work and so that I can continue to align my heart with him. Cool. So that's my challenge for you. Random and just off the cuff, but let's worship. Feel free to stand. Feel free to come to the front. We're going to do a couple songs. stuff you just want to dance um my sister-in-law had this vision it is like picture from god that it's not it's like a allegory you know but um there was a basketball team and they were all practicing and at the end of the practice the coach picked one of the players out and said hey you have to stay longer and do suicides and everyone else got to leave but the one person had to stay and do suicides and during it, they were like, what? Like, why do I have to work out extra? Why'd you pick me out? Kind of bad, like, uh. But then the next game, that player that was asked and made to stay longer and do suicides was like the star player of the game. 
and they scored more points than ever scored before. They had more assists than ever before and they were like the best one on the team. But it was because they were made to stay after and do suicides. And suicides are sprints. <laughs> Did anybody not know that? Just so I'm just kidding. Uh, okay, sorry. In sports, when you're, when you're uh, coach makes you run like all over the line and then back, all over the line and back, all over the line back, over and over and over, making them do sprints. And right away, the verse that came to my mind was uh, Hebrews 12, where it says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And then verse 11, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So God's discipline does not look like sickness or like him hurting us. But sometimes we go through a negative circumstance and what's happening is something's being brought out of us that wasn't there before to reveal more of God. And it's only through going through adversity that this can be brought out of you. In Hebrews 2, it says that Christ was perfected through suffering. What does that mean? It means that it was shown that Jesus was really God because he went through something hard and didn't change. And so when we go through something hard, it's an opportunity for us to grow. And yeah, I just want to encourage you. You're not suffering for nothing. You're not persevering for nothing. There is an end. And when you come through it, you're going to be stronger. So yeah, I just bless you. I just pray perseverance and strength, ability to keep going for anybody that needs it in Jesus' name. And then one other thing before we end, just welcome all the prayer teams to come down to the front. They're going to be down here in the front ready to pray for anybody that wants prayer. Um, but last night I had, this, I had a dream and I was, stand, I was preaching, but I was standing over here. And as I was preaching, someone came up to me named Stephanie Harold. She used to be on staff. And she was like, Wilson, teach them about tongues. Everyone is so hungry to pray in tongues. And, you know, that's like the number one thing you don't ever talk about, right? So, yeah, I just feel like we can get easily offended by the gift of tongues because we think, because it doesn't make like logical sense. But, you know, a lot of stuff in the Bible doesn't make logical sense, but it's really good. <laughs> and we're not supposed to be weighing things and thinking based off of, does this make sense? Is it is this normal or whatever? No, like the Bible sets the standard for normal. So go after what the Bible says. But I think there's people here who are hungry for that. I just want to pray for you really quick. And who I'm praying for is people who don't currently do that. Don't operate in that gift. Don't pray in tongues. Don't pray in the spirit. I just want to pray for that to be released and uncorked in you. So if you do pray in tongues, this is not your opportunity to shout out really loud and speak in tongues. It's not what I'm going after. I'm just praying for that to be released in other people, okay, who don't have it. So Father, I bless those who are hungry for speaking in tongues right now, and I pray that would be released in Jesus' name. We're told to pursue the spiritual gifts, desire prophecy. So God, would you stir up the gift of tongues right now in anyone that wants it who's never done it before. I just say be released and open in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so Van and some others will be down here praying for people who those words apply to, the perseverance word or the tongues thing. Otherwise, just come down and get prayer. Have an amazing week.